0: When it comes to cybersecurity, reacting to a threat isn't always enough. You have to get ahead and stay ahead of the escalating risks. My name is Sid amanda and I'll be your host for Unencrypted Truth, a podcast powered by Entrada, the leading provider of comprehensive cybersecurity compliance software tools designed specifically for wealth managers and other regulated industries. All season, I'll be interviewing business professionals about what's keeping them up at night and how they're successfully mitigating the looming vulnerabilities that may exist within their firms, whether it's ransomware or cybersecurity compliance. We'll uncover the role cybersecurity education and training plays in preparing an organization for a cyber threat and help clarify the differences between preventative cybersecurity versus cyber insurance. There's a lot of truth to share, so let's unencrypt it together and dive right in. Hey, Nimesh, uh, thank you for joining us today on this podcast of The Unencrypted Truth. It's always great to have you here. Let me just begin, Nimesh, uh, give us a little background of yourself.
1: Well, first of all, said thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure to be here. And a little bit about myself. So I'm uh, with National Life Group, which is one of the oldest life insurance companies and the top 10 life insurance company in the US. I've been with the company about uh, going on 15 years. Time does fly. And uh, I've had multiple roles here. I started out in technology. Uh, I headed up strategy. I ran operations, and I'm back to technology. So I've done a uh, roundabout world tour of the company. It's been a great experience, and uh, you know, cyber has been in every part of the organization. So I think this will be a great conversation.
0: We've known each other for some time, Namesh. Um, just your background is very unique relative to you know cybersecurity and risk because you know a lot of the folks that we talk to have a deep pedigree in cyber but haven't had a lot of the experience in terms of the operational side or the strategy side for the business and so having that mix is just absolutely great nimesh just to kind of sort of start off a lot of things have changed from a cybersecurity risk standpoint in the last few years particularly around the pandemic how has national life dealt with the onslaught of escalating cybersecurity risk and regulatory pressure from a cyber standpoint over the last few years what what have you seen has changed relative to
1: let's say 3 or 4 years ago no absolutely you think the pandemic had anything to do with it i mean pandemic came and went it's gone right as they say yeah. but it's not true i think the world turned around so many times in the last 2 years i don't even know where the time went so let's kind of take this as bite-sized chunks I think first of all, when you think about four years ago, five years ago, pick a time frame, there was a lot of reliance, not just in our company, but a lot of companies around perimeter defenses. And guess what? March of 2020 hit, boom, one day everybody went to work from home. So you got a thousands of endpoints floating around everywhere, and the world changed. And it changed fast and it changed quickly. So a lot of the security measures that were in place had to be relaxed in order to do business. And those things had to be really re-looked at, re-evaluated, and we had to look at it with a very different lens to say, what's the new world look like and what are the defenses? Compounded by the fact that lots of companies do business offshore in places like India. And if you've seen in places like India when you do development work or anything, there's something called offshore development centers where people go in, they can't even take their phones in, it's extremely secure, there's cameras, and we take our data and our security pretty tightly out there. Guess what? They went to work from home too. So everything got compounded, right? So the whole point was perimeter defenses no longer were one of those things that would work for us. So as we look forward now, and we look into the world of whatever this next normal is, because we don't know where the world's gonna go in the next two or three years, but whatever we are now, we look at things and we always said, the old world was, you know, trust but verify. That was the edge. But as you look forward, it's right now, oh, I don't trust you at all. Let's start there. So the whole world of zero trust has come to fruition. And I think people are getting into that, including us in the industry. So I think where we are with companies and with us, is it's time for what I call all hands on deck. And when I say all hands on deck, I really mean that every person in the company needs to start becoming responsible for cyber hygiene. You know, The other day I was at a meeting and I asked people, hey, do you remember to brush your teeth this morning? Did you raise your hands? And of course, everybody raised their hands. I said, how many people remember to change their passwords? Not too many. So I think it's a part of responsibility and accountability across the enterprise. It has to become a part of the company's DNA, and that needs to change post COVID because the hybrid workforce needs that in order to make the environment safer than what it is today. The other part, I think, let's make this a little bit of fun. So as you think about it, let's talk about some myth-busting, right? Because the whole part about COVID and post-COVID in terms of cybersecurity is there have been a bunch of myths that got created. And I think the we need to bust some of them to talk through them so that people appreciate and understand that it's a myth. So let's say the first one I always hear is, Well, you know, these hackers, they won't find me because I'm at home. Why would they waste their time on me? Eh, Not really true. Because I think when you look at the stats, if you look at phishing, you look at smishing, you know, it's on the rise. People are finding ways to get to you through your phones, to get through you through other means. And your device and your endpoint is a gateway into the enterprise. And people don't seem to appreciate that because they feel removed from their work environment, and therefore they feel safe. I think the response is you're one click away from something going wrong. A second myth I always hear is, "You know, I'm connected to our corporate network. Those corporate security types, those guys and gals out there, they'll take care of it. I don't need to worry about it. I know I'm fortified. Myth number two, right? The end of the day, when you look at stats again, 94% of malware is sent through emails. And out of that, 48% of those have attachments that look like office documents. So unless you're security aware and astute, you're going to make a mistake and you can be that one click. So that's myth number two. Here's another one. We're working from home. If there's a cyber incident, it happens somewhere else. We can still continue to work. So what's the problem? Well, myth number two said, well, if you can't attach to something, how are you going to work? So people have forgotten and they feel one degree removed from the environment when they're working from home. And I think we need to remind them that you know, a cyber incident is going to impact everyone, not just if you're working from home. doesn't mean that you can continue to work. And the last one I would say is we've got backups. So what is this ransomware thing going to do? We'll just you know, restore our backups and we'll be fine. Here's an interesting stat I heard from a forensic company actually is 50% of companies hit by ransomware actually paid the ransom. I was pretty surprised. So that's myth number four. So there's a lot of myths, and I think we need to bust them as the world changes.
0: Hmm. Yeah. No, I think you, you bring up a lot of good points. I think it's very easy for companies, and you know, I think the vendors are partly to blame in this and just in terms of spelling a lot of doom and gloom and trying to propagate a sort of sense of fear in a certain way and push a narrative. But things are a bit different uh, in terms of what the reality is. A couple of things you brought up, which I want to double click on. Number one, you talked about COVID. And, you know, now we're sort of in this post-COVID era. I mean, there's still sort of a tail end of it. Feels like everyone's getting COVID again. But anyhow, we're still sort of, I think mentally we're all over it at some level. Organizations are coming back, right? Now you see a lot of the large corporations talking about, hey, folks are coming back. You're going to have to spend some time in the office, come in or else, right? You're seeing a lot of that being propagated, especially from the likes of the large electric car manufacturers and such, right? Do you think that in the world of folks coming back in, into the office, and the world that spent a lot of money on perimeter security within the corporate enterprise, and now folks coming back in, do you think that the models are going to change yet again? because now the percentage of people in the office versus percentage of people outside of the office is gonna be a little different than it was when we were all remote, right? So the risk landscape is gonna be just a bit different. The surface area is gonna be different in this new and sort of coming back into the office world. What do you think enterprises are gonna have to do to better prepare for more of a hybrid model? I mean, I had a friend of mine who was back in the office and he told me that he spends 90% of his time on Zoom calls with his colleagues that are still at home. And in some cases, they're having few people sitting in the office next to him. And in another case, you've got, you know, a few people working from home. It's this sort of this hybrid mishmash. Do you think that the dynamics are gonna be different?
1: You know, I think is people can't forget that COVID happened and we went from home and we are forever probably going to be in a hybrid environment. And what I personally believe in is the least common denominator.
0: Yeah.
1: And the least common denominator is a remote employee. Yes. So whatever we do, we've got to be able to protect for that and then believe that the hierarchies above that cover the rest of their... And security is always about layers of an onion, right? If you have a single layer of defense, you probably don't have a defense. So when you start looking around at this and we come back and we have this new hybrid workforce with some people in the office, some people in the office talking to other people in the office on Zoom, which frankly, I don't understand why they do that and why even bother. I think the part of connections and being around people is sometimes you let your guard down. And I think we have to remember that one, we can't let our guard down just because we're in the office. Secondly is I think enterprises have to maintain, create, and continue to develop the layers of defenses that are going to secure the environment, not just the perimeter. And I think the more layers you get in, the harder it gets to get in there.
0: Yes. So, I mean, I think what you're saying is you're propagating the notion, and it makes a lot of sense, that we now have to be ready for people working from anywhere, anytime, any device. And you have to plan for that. And that might mean they're in a corporate network or they may be at a coffee shop, or they were working from home. It doesn't matter where they are, you have to have a certain standard of care when it comes to cyber. Um, And that has to be implemented, which means our implementations have to be flexible to accommodate that kind of a working environment. Is that a fair statement?
1: I, I would say it's a fair statement. I think what was happening before, you still had people working from the Starbucks of the world. right? There were people in coffee shops doing work, pre-COVID. There were lots of people doing that. However, from a cybersecurity perspective, I think we had what I call the ostrich effect. People stuck their heads in the sand and hoped the problem would just go away. And I think at this point, we have to be more purposeful and not let it evolve, but we have to architect the defenses around the environment.
0: Yeah. And and so, Numesh, as we sort of look forward, right, what are some of the things that keep you up at night in terms of you and your team, just in terms of what, you know, planning for the threats of the future, if you will, right? What are some of the things that you're investing in now to be ready for what's coming
1: down the road? So I would say, you know, what keeps me up at night outside of, you know, binge watching Netflix, like we've all done, <laughs> yes. I think there's a couple of things that, that do keep me up. I think the number one thing that keeps me up at night is talent. In this world, People talk about the war for talent. I think the war for talent's over. Talent won. So now we got to figure out what we want to do. Yeah. And I think it's about getting the right people at the right time for the right price with the right scale. Right? So it is a lot of combinations of variables that will make the talent equation work. And if you've ever tried to solve for a multi variable equation with one equation, you know it's very, very difficult to solve and almost impossible. Exactly. So I think talent is going to be a challenge in the foreseeable future. And that really keeps me up at night because there are too many people pretending to be cybersecurity experts out there. Um, it's a hot commodity and it's a well-paid job. So there's lots of people who want in and they're not qualified to be in. So I think that keeps me up at night. I think second thing is this whole rise in ransomware. It can get pretty scary because all you are is, there is one click away. I need one person to make one mistake and the weakest chain link comes down. So we got to be really, really careful. We have seen 62% increase just this year, 2021, 2022 year to date, 60 some percent increase. And guess what it was 2020 to 2021, 92% increase. Average ransom payments have gone up from $25,000, $50,000 to a million. So it's not about the money, it's the disruption that is caused by something. And threat actors have gotten really, really smart. This is a big business. And this is a stat that I read that really astonished me, that the whole cybersecurity and the money-making and ransomware and this type of environment, the, the threat actors and the bad actors, that whole global economy is now larger than the drug cartel.
0: Yes. That's
1: right. Think about how much money is flowing through this. This is big business. It's profitable. So it's not going to go away.
0: That's right. You've hit the nail on the head on that one, Damesh. Like uh, so working backwards, the notion that cyber actors, it pays to be a hacker. It pays to have an enterprise that's focused on breaching other other enterprises. So the Dr. Evil sort of analogy, right? Uh you know, there's a company out there, I'm not gonna name names, but it's an anti-fraud company. Their entire tagline is, "We want to make you know hacking an unprofitable enterprise." That's their value problem. Is that by implementing technologies, they want to dissuade the hackers from wanting to attack your enterprise. Go go next door. It's sort of the equivalent of putting up a sign on your front door that says, "I'm I've got ADT monitoring. There's no point breaking into this house. You might as well go next door where nobody has that sign on." So. That's a, that's a very good point. I mean, I think what has changed in the landscape is the value of data breach and the value of that data out in the dark web is quite a bit. I mean, if you breach an enterprise and you've got access to medical records, you've got access to personal social security numbers, PII data, and you sell it in the dark web, it fetches a pretty penny. Or if you hold the organization ransom and say, I will release it or else, the amount of money they can make from that, like you said, is significantly high
1: organizations value their brand, right? At the end of the day, and that brand is worth something outside of the data. That's right. And people are willing to pay to protect their brand and therefore this business won't die. So I love companies that have taglines that talk about implementation of technology. I think I'm being very careful not to have a false sense of security. There's no one technology is going to fix it and there's no such thing as a perfect security model. That's right. Agree. 100%. We will Uh, implement something and they will find a way around it. That's right. And so you have to almost be ready for that.
0: So now when we sort of talk about innovations that are powering some of these threats that keep you up at night, so you talked about talent shortage in cyber. You talked about the notion of organizations breaching you regardless of what you have. And so being prepared for, you know, expect the unexpected. The third, ransomware being on the rise and, you know, what are some of the innovations that you're seeing out there that you think can help organizations be better prepared for these three items?
1: I'll give you a couple of things. Some of them are sooner and others will probably be later. So let's just talk through that in a second. I think one of the things that is particularly attractive as I look at the landscape of vendors, partners out there, software companies and others that are thinking through this, I think biometric defenses are going to see a different shape come through in the next few years. I think it's still nascent, but you know the whole part about cyber was multi-factor authentication, right? You gotta know something and you gotta have something. And this is the third dimension when you are the something. So whether it be biometric voice fingerprinting, retinal scans other ways to be able to authenticate uh, users i think it's going to be pretty prevalent because that's one thing that's going to be hard to fake even with all the deep fakes with voice because your fingerprint is your fingerprint and your digital voice print is your digital voice print so there's some level of better authentication that's going to come out of this so i'm hoping to see some of that innovation take place i think it's still very you know secluded into governmental entities so far from an R&D perspective. So when it gets out into the consumer base, I think it'll be very interesting to see where it takes us to the next round. Another one is behavioral analytics, right? Think about it, Sid, I mean, have you heard of a software company that tells you that they don't have AI and machine learning? I think everybody's touting it. I don't even believe what it is anymore. But I think in the cyber world, the innovation is really about taking that data and understanding when it's not natural and being able to correlate it to say when something is not natural and find that hole. Because when you look at the models, the faster I find somebody that's doing something wrong, the better off I am to stop. There have been instances when, you know, hackers have stayed around in environments for months. Months. Think about what they would have found. So I think detection from a behavioral analytics is something that's really interesting. And the third one I will tell you is, I think the world of encryption is going to take a complete shift when it comes to quantum computing. Right. You know, our our encryption today, we rely on it from a regulatory perspective, from an enterprise perspective, and even from a personal perspective a sense of satisfaction and safety perspective, we say, hey, my laptop is encrypted. I feel good that my data is safe. Well, encryption is really based on prime number factorials, right? So you take prime numbers, you multiply, what prime numbers can give you a number? And that's the model for encryption. And it can't be broken because large numbers are complex. So it'll take supercomputers decades to crack it. That's right. Here comes quantum computing, boom. You know, your encryption patterns no longer work. They'll be useless because they can be decrypted. However, there, I believe there is a bright side to this as well. And the bright side is if quantum computing can break encryption that is good for you, it can also break ransomware just as fast. Right. So I think there is a sense and I think there will be a cat and mouse game on this. And it'll feel a little bit like playing, you know, going to a fair and playing whack-a-mole. and see which happens. But I think there's be some innovation in the space that is going to change uh, cybersecurity as we see it today.
0: You know, one of the areas that, uh, and I think these are all excellent points, you know, this all leads me to the area of, it's hard to keep pace with technology. It's hard to keep pace with technology used to protect your organization and the threat actors having access to new methods to be able to compromise an organization, right? So both sides... It's sort of hard to keep pace with. What's the role in your mind? And Nimesh, you have a unique qualification in this, given, you know, the focus of the organization and the insurance space. What do you see the role of cyber insurance with all of this? Do you you rely more on cyber insurance knowing that you are going to get breached at some point? It's just a matter of time. So let me just up my, my cyber insurance policies because it's a ticking time bomb anyway. Is that the right answer or is it to wait for that silver bullet technology, whether it's passwordless or you know, a better form of identity with biometrics or some better form of encryption? What, what's the balance?
1: You know, I think it's layered defenses again. An insurance policy is not going to do anything for you if you haven't really had the defenses. In fact, most policies um, will not give you coverage if you don't have the right type of defenses to begin with. Right. But I think in the world of cyber insurance, I think we're in phase 3.0. Phase 1.0 was it was offered by many people, and nobody wanted it. Right. That was phase 1.0. Phase 2.0 is it became more commercial, and people were buying it, but it never really got used. So it was kind of reasonable, and it gave you a sense of confidence that you had it. Now we're in phase 3.0, where everybody wants it. It's almost unaffordable. And most of the coverage, in fact, most people have dropped ransomware coverage from their cyber policies. So it's not giving you the protection that you think you may get with most of these policies. However, it's not just enterprise carrying these policies. So another thing that keeps me up at night is where's my data? We've all gone to SaaS-based solutions. We've gone to third-party models. Who has our data? Where is it? And what are they doing with it? So when you think about cyber coverage, it's not just about the coverage that you carry as an enterprise. It's making sure that the people you do business with carry cyber coverage as well. And I think what cyber coverage brings to you outside of the money aspect of it is the access to resources that would help you get through the event in the right way. And I think that's an important part of cyber coverage that people forget. So when I say access to resources, access to PR firms, access to legal resources, access to forensic resources, all those types of things that you cannot probably hire and keep within your environment because you don't use them all the time. It's going to that ER room and getting the best triage nurses, doctors to be able to help you figure the situation out. Because it's not if, it's when.
0: got it. Yeah, I think, I think that's well said. So you touched upon something, Nimesh, around data and data privacy and where's my data. What role do you think regulations have in the area of enforcing a certain type of culture around uh, data privacy, data management? You know, GDPR in Europe is pretty intense. I mean, you, you fly into Europe these days and, you know, you log into a browser and you there's all these little clicks where you know that they're watching, they, you know, you have rights as an individual to be able to allow the, you know, the the owner of the website to have access to certain data, you can say no, you can, you know, you can ask them to delete it. We haven't quite seen that level of implementation and importance in the States just yet. Uh, I mean, CCPA is there and you've got Shield Act in New York, but it still seems like it's early days. Do you see regulation driving a certain direction down this path? I mean, we don't even have a cybersecurity rule in our industry for Uh, the SEC and FINRA, although they've just proposed something recently. What are your thoughts on regulation?
1: I'm one of those people that's going to give you a different answer about regulations. I think, I believe if you wait for regulations, it's sort of too late. So here's the example that I can give you. I think regulations always come after bad things happen. Mm. So a perfect example is there's a timing aspect of it, right? So when the car was invented and cars got on the road, people weren't thinking about traffic signals and police cops giving tickets out for speeding or seatbelts or whatever they may be because there wasn't enough volume of cars. So until people died and people were speeding, the cops didn't come. Yes. So it was too late. People had already died. And I believe that in this case, the world, bad things are happening. And as bad things are happening, the regulations will follow. But as an enterprise, if you're just planning to keep up with regulations, I don't think you're doing right by your customer. Makes sense. You got to stay in front of that. You got to figure out what is the right thing by your customer and make sure you're protecting their data that they gave you in a way that makes sense from a corporate perspective. I think regulations are something that then start to create minimum standards for people that are entering into a certain industry or market that gives you a sense of what must happen. And it also helps the laggards that just won't do it. Right, but if you're an enterprise that's actually focused on your customer, I think following regulations is great. But you should have been compliant by the time the regulation came out.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think that you raised some excellent points there as well. It's an interesting challenge as a, uh, you know, as a company that that I'm part of that's focused on reg tech or regulation tech, and it's not a leading indicator of where the market is. It's usually a trailing indicator. But you'd be surprised how many organizations aren't progressive enough to, you know, get ahead of the curve before something becomes a regulation to do the right thing, because, you know, they're being bombarded by eight different solutions, 500 different solutions. It's kind of hard to decide where to go. It's not until there's a prescriptive way, you know, the SEC or FINRA or any of these watchdog organizations come in and say, listen, here's what we expect of you, and, I don't care what you do, but if you if you can't prove you're doing these six things, you're not up to standard. And so it's an interesting challenge, right? Because you know we end up seeing a lot of the organizations being out of the curve, uh, but majority of them are right in the middle. And there's a whole there's a long tail of firms that do nothing until there's a breach incident or there's a regulatory fine. So you kind of have to address all parts of it. But I I think you raise interesting points. Um, Nimesh, I wanted to thank you. I thought this was a very scintillating conversation around cyber. You know, you know, most of the conversations we end up having are very, sort of focused on the norm. Right? Here's what the regulations are. Here's what you're doing. Here's what you were doing before the pandemic. And here's what. But I think you offered some pretty interesting. I think quantum computing, especially, that's a doozy. It's watch out. There's there's just a lot there in terms of the industry sort of grappling with it. But I I enjoyed the conversation as always, Nimesh. Thank you for your time. I know you're busy. I welcome you to come back anytime if you have a few minutes, but thank you for your time again. Always good to see you. Same here.
1: Appreciate you having me. It was a pleasure.
0: Thanks. Thank you for listening to Unencrypted Truth. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation. To learn more about how Entrada can provide comprehensive cybersecurity software to protect your client data, visit entrada.com forward slash podcast. And please be sure to follow, rate, and review this show wherever you listen to your audio content. We'll be back with even more Truths to Unencrypt on our next episode.